0: lovely to be with you again tonight and to have been with you for these last three weeks. I've really enjoyed being down among the folk and to see what God is doing with you and doing in your lives. It's always lovely to be with uh, the Lord's people and with those who really want to follow him and serve him. We all need one another in the journey of life. That's why God made churches. Churches weren't men's ideas, they were God's. And the body of Christ needs to come together and minister to one another, and encourage one another in a world that is hostile to the gospel, to light, to Christ, to God. There must be a place where we can come and fellowship and commune with him. So it's lovely to be here. Uh, We're going to turn together in our Bibles. It's a familiar passage. I'm going to take a slightly different approach with it, but nevertheless, if you turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read a few verses there from the verse 28 matthew chapter 11 and the verse 28 i want to thank those of you who have uh, prayed for us uh, and do pray for us we really appreciate that very much and we would really covet your prayers that you would uh, pray for us in the work that we're involved in we have a prayer meeting that we hold in our home Uh, The work that we were doing in Lisburn, there was a building that was opened and uh, during the COVID it it closed and we had a a very blessed uh, series of meetings for a number of years in in Lisburn on a Friday night and it was very well attended and many people got help but uh, that closed during the COVID and then there was work done at the property but uh, we got an opportunity, the man very generously and kindly offered to give us the new facility that he had built. Um, And so we were very happy to do that. But then as we were praying, uh, the Lord made it very clear that uh, that wasn't his plan, that we were to go back to that old building, but there's another building. um, And God has made it very clear that that building will open, but we have to patiently wait on him for that to happen. So we're praying and waiting on God. And most days in my life, There are people coming to our home, sometimes one, sometimes two, and occasionally three uh, come for help with one problem and another. And it's a great privilege to help people. The Lord Jesus went about helping people. He healed people. He delivered people. He raised the dead. He ministered to those who are sick and broken. And so it's a wonderful privilege to pray with people and on many occasions to see God doing a real work of Miracle in their lives, and uh, that's a great privilege, so please pray for us, and those that do continue to pray. We appreciate that so so much let's read together then, from Matthew chapter eleven verse twenty eight Jesus Christ is the speaker here, and this is what he says: "Come unto me, all ye that labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. This is a very precious passage to me because many decades ago now, I was converted under the ministry of the late Reverend Sam Workman, not that far from here in the village of Kilimanj. And whenever I was converted, I was so pleased, obviously, that my sins were forgiven. I knew I was going to heaven. I didn't fear death anymore. But then a, a few years later, uh, he had a mission outside Armagh in Lisdown. And uh, when that mission came to an end, it was hugely attended. And then there was a mission or a series of Christians meetings being held in the mission hall. Now, the mission hall only held about 60 or 70 So I thought to myself, well, if the Christians have come to the mission and there's five or six hundred every night, if there's going to be Christians meetings, I'll need to be there at six in the evening. But I arrived at about seven and waited to have seven and quoted eight. And there was no crowd. And I learned a valuable lesson at that time that Christians aren't always interested in Christians meetings. A lot of people like to hear the gospel, but they don't like to hear maybe about things need changed in their own lives as Christians. That was a valuable lesson to learn as a young convert. But that night, Mr. Workman preached, and he preached on a message that stuck with me, and he called it The Two Rests. The Two Rests. The first rest of salvation. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest of salvation when we come to Christ. But then the second rest, which old W.P. Nicholson, the Irish rude evangelist, called the second blessing. Of course, second blessing's not in the Bible in that respect, but Nicholson was more right than the, the people said he was wrong. Because the Bible, in the words of Jesus, Jesus said, take the yoke upon you as a believer. Take the yoke on you. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest. There's two rests. And many people have the first. But there's many, many Christians do not have the second. They don't have the second. And the second rest, my friend, is wonderful. And it makes Christianity worth living for and worth dying for. And it puts a a, a spring in your step. It puts power in your soul. It gives victory over sin. It gives you everything that Jesus promised the second rest. And I'm not preaching on that tonight, but I just want to point that out. That don't be thinking that when you come to Christ and you get saved, that you've arrived. My friend, it's just the foundation laid, that's all. Be careful how you build thereon after you get saved and go for the second rest. It'll cost you everything. But you'll get all the benefits that Jesus promises if you're willing to pay the price. Let's bow together in prayer as we've read God's word. Our Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this wonderful person who we know and love. Lord, we pray tonight again as... Others have prayed that your blessing would be on us and that your spirit would fill this place and that every heart, Lord, from the most indifferent at this moment, whoever they might be, to the most sensitive, that, Lord, you would speak to them. We pray again for our land, Lord, for the island and the two countries on it, for a great revival to come to Ireland. And now, Lord, I take the promised Holy Ghost, that blessed power of Pentecost, to fill me to the uttermost, I take, and I thank you that he, the Holy Spirit, will undertake. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen. I want you to do something for me, and it's going to be very hard from the youngest to the oldest, but I want you to try to do this. I want you to imagine that you've never heard of Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine you've never heard anything he said, anything he'd done, any of his miracles. I just want you to imagine that that part has never, and the thought of him has never come into your life. If you can do that to begin with, it'll help you. Because there was a generation that actually lived that knew nothing about Jesus. Nothing about These people were called Jews, some Gentiles in fact as well. But they knew a bit about the Bible, they knew the Old Testament, but certainly they didn't know anything about this man. and, And he suddenly appeared on the scene and he began to do things and say things. He was very strange. And you know, every generation, there's always unusual people that appear on the scene. Every generation. Unique people, fascinating people, exceptional abilities or skills, whatever it might be, and they come on the scene and they become famous because they're different. And this happens in every generation. But I want you to come with me 2,000 years and go right back to a generation. Because we're going to look tonight at the most unusual man that ever lived. We're going to look at the most unusual man that ever will live. He's not going to be surpassed in a future generation. Nobody's going to come along like him. He's a fascinating man. And the title of my message tonight is Jesus Christ's Offer. Jesus Christ's Offer. What is he offering? But before we look at the offer that he has, we need to look at him. We've got to see... If he's offering us anything, has he really got the credentials and the criteria and the authority to do it? What he's promising, can he give it? Or is he like a politician that says, I'll do it, and he doesn't do it? What kind of a guy is he? When I was a child, I'm sure like many others, you were fascinated by superheroes. When I was growing up, it was Batman, it was Superman, it was these strange men, Spider-Man. And you're fascinated by them because they were different. They were ordinary people that took on another persona. And, and what they generally did was they, they, they came on the scene and they, they were strong. They had abilities that others didn't have. They were kind of supernatural. Of course, they hated the evildoers. The ones that did the bad, they didn't like them. And they always helped the ones who were the underdog, the one who was suppressed, who were beaten. They came in and rescued them. And it was wonderful to watch. Everybody had loved them. Children fascinated by them. Superheroes. Well, I'm going to speak to you tonight, not about... Spider-Man or Superman or any of those. But I'm going to talk to you about the God-Man. The God-Man. who's way beyond any of these people. Way beyond them. And what we're going to do is we're going to look briefly at a few things that happened in his short lifetime of 33 years years. First of all we want to look at just a few pointers on what this man who arrived on earth what he did. What did this guy do? Well if you were a parent and you had a 12 year old you certainly wouldn't expect your 12 year old to do what this child did. In fact his mother and father were quite shocked as well. Because a 12-year-old, when he should have left the temple with his parents and come back home, he stayed on. They left and left him behind, and eventually they found him. And they found that he was reasoning in the temple with the greatest minds, the greatest intellects in Israel. He, as a 12-year-old, was was challenging them. He was confronting them with truth and light, and these men were absolutely blown away with a 12-year-old child. Now, that's unusual. They're going to take note of that when that child leaves. That was an unusual boy. (laughs) Sure was. You see, he surprised the teachers of his day. But then as he got older, especially when he came to the beginning of his ministry when he was 30, He really destabilized and upset the establishment of the religion of the day, the set religion of the Jews. He began to really annoy everybody that was in that setup. He was threatened with death. On occasions he had to hide. He really was a very unique character. On one occasion, he was in a home and his parents heard about it and his brothers and sisters. And they arrived at the house and basically, I'm I'm paraphrasing it, but they said, brothers and sisters, Mommy, Jesus has gone mad. Guy's lost the plot. That's unusual, isn't it? He did some miracles, and then the religious establishment, they said about him, this guy is doing miracles. He's doing supernatural things in front of our eyes, in our generation. We've never seen anything like it before, but he's doing it by the power of the devil. Do you know something I've discovered? That when you confront the devil and in the power of God you overcome the devil, people will accuse you of working through the devil. <laughs> I have discovered that. Hmm, powerful. But this man, that's what happened to him. Unusual man. So not only do we look briefly at a few things that he did, we want to look at a few things that others said about him. In his lifetime, what did people say about him? He's very controversial. As they say, his family said he's mad. The religious leaders said he's full of the devil but then there's this fisherman begins to follow him he's fascinated by him he sees supernatural things miracles going on i mean he's really attracted by these miracles and this miracle worker so peter gives up the fishing throws away his career starts to follow this guy blindly and as he watches and as he listens and as he sees god working one day jesus said to him who who do people say that i am well he says some people saying you're Elijah you've come back from the dead now this is just general talk in the, in the society he's, he's a prophet that has come back from the dead some say you're John the Baptist that has come back from the dead tell you this man would have been hitting the headlines my friend he would have been on sky news every night no ordinary man and then and then Jesus said, well, tell me, Peter, who do you say that I am? That's, that's what they said. What do you say? He said, thou art the Christ. The anointed one sent by God from heaven to redeem mankind. The Messiah, the deliverer, the savior, the devil destroyer, the hell destroyer, the sin destroyer, the great one promised from the garden of Eden. That's who you are. Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. The son of the living God. That's a challenge for a man, isn't it? Walking about. The soldier, whenever the Lord Jesus had died on the cross, as the earth had come under the cloak of darkness, as the graves had opened whenever he died, as the temple veil was rent in two, and God's darkness, as it were, the shadow of darkness of evil gathered round the cross, and God put a a a wedge as it were between him and his son and poured out his wrath and as this soldier stood godless wicked evil man who had fought in the army and the military and had seen every kind of gruesome thing and had no heart and no conscience and when he witnessed what Jesus did said and all that happened at the scene of the cross he said surely surely this was the son of God surely this was an Innocent man. Unusual man. Soldiers. But then what did the angels say? Did angels have anything to say? Well, actually they did. Because down deep in the heart of his mother, a lot of things had happened before he was born. And she had carried a lot in her heart all her life. Right up to the day he died on the cross, his mother carried something of the weight of his ministry. Because she remembered as a little teenager, 16 or 17 in her house, sitting just a young godly girl that loved the Lord, that read the scriptures, that went in the temple, that feared the Lord, that prayed, that honored him, that lived an upright, moral, godly life, this young teenage girl, suddenly, Gabriel comes into her home. He appears before her. She's frightened the wits out of. He said, I come from the presence of God. Now, see that every day. Come from the presence of God. And I've come to tell you that you're going to have a son. She didn't say, no, that's not going to happen. But because she was prepared by the Lord, because she was obedient to the Lord, she said, Lord, how? Not not no, how? How could such a thing happen? She said, I have never known a man. I have never been in a relationship with a man to have a child. And the angel said, "The, the glory and the majesty of the highest shall overshadow thee. And as the power of the highest overshadows you, he says there will be a, a holy thing will be born or birthed in you and he will be called the Son of God. Oh, she knew that. She knew that. The angel said that before he was born, he's going to be the Son of God. He's going to be the most unique man. He's going to be God in heaven, the Son becoming Man in the flesh, laying aside his glory, his majesty, his power. To become a man just like you and I, to be 100% man and 100% God. Unique man. Yeah, the angels talked about him. But here's another thing that was very unusual. It wasn't that common... For the Jews to see manifestations of demons. But when Jesus appeared, they appeared. And they appeared in bizarre places. (laughs) They appeared one day in church. Whenever there's a guy who knows the Torah, who's part of the Jewish system, he's a believer in Jehovah, and he's sitting in the temple, Jesus gets up and opens, begins to read from the scriptures, and suddenly this demon rises in this guy in the church. And he starts to shout out, Thou art the Son of the Living God. You see, my de- de- dear friends, men on earth, angels from heaven, devils from hell, they all proclaimed he was the son of God. They all proclaimed he was the God-man. He, 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 he wasn't ordinary in any way. He was extraordinary in every way. Can you imagine how unique that was for that, those people at that time? Oh, yes. But let me tell you something. I haven't met angels. I've met people who have met them. And I've experienced seeing them and so on. I've met several people, children, if that has happened to. But I'll tell you one thing. Over many years, I have witnessed demonic entities and spirits rising up in people. And sometimes they get angry and sometimes they spit and sometimes they curse and sometimes they cry. But every time they say Jesus is the Son of God. no ordinary man well my friends that's things that he did and what others had to say about him but what did he say about himself (laughs) well he said I'm come down from heaven you meet meet many people like that will you meet anybody at work like that tomorrow I've come down from heaven what did you be saying say you feeling right? you okay do we need to get the doctor for you That's what he said. He was a man on earth. He said, I have come down from heaven. My father sent me. Either the man's mad or he's telling the truth. My friends, he's telling the truth. He did come down from heaven. He's the manna of heaven. He's the God-man. He did something that no other man had done in generations, and that was he simply said to people, your sins are forgiven. I know our dear friends and neighbors Roman Catholics I know that the poor priest says to people your sins are forgiven but my friends the priest has no power the Roman Catholic priest has no power ability, skill or spiritual dynamic from God to forgive sins it is a delusion from hell because no one can forgive sins but God the Bible says God That's why you don't need a bachelor priest to come in between you and God in prayer, because there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He said to his disciples, He said, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise on the third day. Big claim. Do you ever meet anybody that, you know, any religious guy? you ever meet anybody that says, I'm going to be killed three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead? you ever meet anybody? Unusual. But he did it. He did it. You say, ah, but, you know, a lot of people, maybe people listening online now, they're going to say, ah, hi, but that's what Christians all say, that he died and he rose again. We've heard that before. That's what the Bible says. Listen, look up secular history. Look up Joseph. He wasn't a Christian. He said that this man died and rose on the third day. Secular history. It's a fact that Jesus died and rose on the third day. It's a fact. He said the prophets spoke about me. You ever meet anybody like that? <laughs> Talking about the Old Testament. He said, by the way, see the Old Testament. All the prophets, all the, all the promises that were made, that was about me. Big claim. The prophets claimed where he would bo- be born. Bethlehem of Judea. Where was he born? Bethlehem of Judea. How did that happen? It would have to be God intervening to do that, wouldn't it? He said that he would be kneeled in the Psalms under King David. He said he would be kneeled by the hands and feet spiked to a cross. That was hundreds and hundreds of years before the Romans ever took power or the form of execution was even the form of crucifixion. The prophet was able to say hundreds of years before that the Messiah will be nailed. The nails will go through his hands and feet. How did they know that? Because God knows the timeline. God knew that it would be the Romans. God knew that that was the fullness of time for the coming of his son and his death on the cross. That's why. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I have power over death does he does he have power over death well do you remember that little widow woman coming out with her only son a Do you remember as she come out and they were carrying the coffin the beer just the body lying on top of a stretcher and they're carrying it out and everybody's weeping and professional mourners and they're all wailing and crying and it's a very sad occasion And jesus comes along this penniless preacher just comes along and stops the funeral and interferes with a, with a grief and the whole procession stopped and he walks over and he touches, the, he touches the buyer and he touches the young man's body and, and he rises from the dead. This is a wonderful man, my friends. You couldn't help but be taken and fascinated and absolutely absorbed with this man. No man ever spake like this man. Nobody ever did what this man did. Gamaliel on one occasion, I think it was when he was meeting the Jews when the the church had been formed and they were preaching about him and whatever, Gamaliel brought in the Sanhedrin and the leaders and he said, listen guys, there's no point in you persecuting these people and these apostles of Jesus. He said, listen, there's other men have come and made great claims and they died and they're gone and that's it. He said, and if this man is just, just a simple man who is deceived and lied and his mind's not right and these guys have followed him, this will fade away. But he said, if it's true, then you'll be fighting against God. My friends, the most popular name in this world today is Jesus Christ. Gamaliel was right. If you fight against this man, you're fighting against God because he is God. Well, let's quickly move on. Superman? No, no Superman. Just the God-man. The God-man. This same Jesus the very same one. <laughs> he comes to you and me, and this is what he says Come unto me. My friend, there's no invitation you'll ever get in this life that will remotely match. That invitation. This very same man we have talked about. Who died on the cross. Rose on the third day. Ascended to heaven. Sent the Holy Spirit to earth. He says to every man and woman. Boy and girl. Come unto me. Me. Why? Because you're laboring and heavy laden. I will give you rest. There's many people in the world today and either they've never heard the invitation or if they have, they're not going to bite And so what society does, as it always has since the fall of man, it has its own ways of dealing with this heavy laden, this labor, this distress, these problems, these anxieties, these depressions, all the things that happen, the guilt, the shame, all these problems in life that manifest in every person to one degree or another. What man has decided and ever done through the centuries is I will solve this problem without bringing God into it. And so man attempts his own method to find peace, to find harmony, to find reconciliation, to find purpose in life. And what man has done is he begins with resorts and amusements. That will lift the burden. If we get some amusements and fun and and we go to resorts and different places and get a spa or whatever it might be, that will lift the burden off. That's man's way. We'll build sports arenas. We'll go on vacations and have huge and long holidays. And if that is dissatisfying, then we'll enter into what's called the New Age movement. And We'll enter into new spiritual experiences that will release us from the taxes of life and from the difficulties and the anxieties and stresses. And we'll do yoga and mindfulness and Reiki and any other God-forsaken thing. That's what we'll be at. And we'll check all the alternative medicines to bring peace and wholeness and harmony into our lives. Oh, yes, my friend. It's man's way of trying to solve man's problem without God. Let me tell you, it can't work. It won't work. Many adopt religion. I recently read the book by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. He said that a lot of people who have religion are he said it's, it's boys' talk. I like the way he put it. It's boys' talk. We don't want to talk about sin or hell or judgment. Just keep the sacraments. Be good as you can. Live life to the full. And hey-ho, it'll all be all right at the end. That's a boys' religion. That's a fool's religion. Doesn't address Sin. Doesn't address the seriousness of being an enemy of God. Doesn't address the issue of the devil. It's a boy's religion. And my friend, this country and others are full of boy's religion. Boy's religion, no depth to it. Doesn't resolve any of the major questions of life. It's just a load of religion and a load of men's ideas and cloaks and clergy and everything that goes with it. Some go for hedonism. Know what that is? Pleasure. Well, as we've said on other nights, you're going to have to go to Belfast or go to the Mid-Ulster or whatever and you'll see people parading virtually naked down the street and you'll maybe find clergymen at the front leading it. The blind leading the blind. Oh, yes. I'm free! I've come out! I've come out! Never felt better. Not true. Not true. You haven't confronted this man yet. This God man. You haven't taken into account the sin question and the consequences of sin. You see, my dear friend, you can go into a, a Tesco store and you can walk around for forty-eight hours, and I'm sure there's some women that have done that. But you can go as long as you want round that. Nobody will pass any remarks. But when you buy what you want and lift what you want and do what you want, when you come to the end, there's a thing called checkout. Checkout. You pay. At the end of life, there's paying. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. My friend, don't forget it. You're fooling yourself if you think that by your means, your methods, whether it's religion, pleasure, whatever, or any of these other things, if you think that's the issue solved in your life, you have been deceived by the liar. The Bible says Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning, the devil. C.S. Lewis rightfully said, if you try to fill your life with anything but God, you'll never run properly and you'll never run effectively. In fact, as he said, you'll run out of juice. You see, we were made with a hole inside us. We have a gap inside our hearts and you mightn't have felt it yet. You'll feel it later on in life, but the hole's there. And you know the, the only one who fits into that hole? Do you know the only one who fills it completely? Jesus Christ. And when he comes into that hole and he fills that hole with his spirit, you get life. You get purpose. You get meaning. You get forgiveness. You get hope. You get certainty, well, this same one comes to you tonight, from the youngest child, from some of you down here or some down here. He says, "Come to me, young person, come to me, come to me." He doesn't say, "Come to the priest, come to the clergy, come to the evangelist. come he said, "Come to me." Come to me, all ye that labor. Oh, well, my friends, do you know what that means? It means to be exhausted. Heavy laden means to be weighed down, exhausted and weighed down. Well, I remember decades ago going to the mission I told you about. I was 17. Didn't hear the evangelist? I had no intention of listening to him. I was forced to go by my mother, coerced. And I said, I'll go, but I'll never be back. I went along to the meeting. The tent was blown down and we were put into the parochial hall. I sat and there was a teapot in front of me. I had intended that night to watch uh, Moby Dick, the great white whale. But Moby had to be put on hold that night and I had to go and watch a teapot. You can imagine how I felt watching a teapot and Moby Dick at home on the TV. I wouldn't have cared less if I was in any other place but the last place. If I had got into the tent, I might have been more content because I would have seen the evangelist. I would have looked around. I might have had a laugh at somebody. Whatever it might have been going on, I would have did it. But there's not a lot to do when you have a teapot in front of you. And the evangelist, who I never saw, got up to preach. Somebody sang, somebody prayed, somebody... I don't know what they did. I'm assuming they did all that. Because I don't remember one word that was said in that. Not one word do I remember of that meeting. Not one word. But what I do remember was that during that hour, something began to happen to me as a 17-year-old. I began to feel weighed down with sin. I began to feel lost. I began to become aware that the flames of hell were licking round me. And that I was a candidate for death and I had absolutely no preparation made whatever for it. And as I went out of that meeting that night as I went over the threshold I remember thinking I'm going out into the dark but not only physical darkness but I'm in the dark. I was laden that night. You might know it tonight sinner but that's where you are too. You might say to me Alan I'm enjoying life to the full. I don't need Jesus. Well, God gives you that privilege. And you can give your fingers to him if you want. You can curse him up and down. And he'll not topple heaven. And he'll not fall off the throne. He'll simply give you that right to be a complete rebel against his word and against his light. Because God must let you choose If you want to be in heaven, or if you want to go to hell, that is your choice. He won't put you in heaven, and he won't put you in hell. What you do with him will determine where you go. I was hooked by the Holy Ghost. Before that, I was dead in sin, but I didn't know I was dead. You heard about the two wee boys that were in the store and they got lost. Mommy had disappeared and they were running wild, wild through the store and one of them began to cry. The other little guy was looking at the toys and wee boy began to cry and he said, uh, we're lost, we're lost and, 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 and where's mommy? And, and he, he was going mad and the man caught him and said, what's wrong son? He said, we're lost, we're lost. Mommy's gone and we're lost and he says why is your wee brother not crying he says he doesn't know he's lost he hasn't caught on yet well they'll be down the road they'll be in this house and that house and on house and on house and they're educated and solicitors and barristers and doctors and and you name it and that's what they are and they don't know they're lost they don't know that at one moment life will break and they'll wake up in hell and that'll be it and there'll be a clergyman paid enough to tell them that they're in heaven and he'll have a face like the, the, like the town clock. He'll put on whatever they want. He'll put the show on and give them the big address they want. But that'll not take them out of hell. So many under guilt, shame, Regret, addiction, you name it, depression, sadness, fear. Martin Luther, Roman Catholic priest in Germany. He decided after being in a thunderstorm, he made a vow to some saint that he said he would would go, he would give up law as a lawyer and he would go to the priesthood. He went in and he was very regimental in all that he had to do, but he couldn't get peace with God. He prayed, he was so terrified he couldn't do his first mass because he was so terrified of the fact that he apparently had this power to turn this wine and bread into the body and blood of Christ. It too terrified him. He went to see the priest for confession, his superior. He came that often, eventually the superior says, Martin, come back when you have some sin. The man had no peace. He kept confessing the Superior said, why don't you just love God? He said, I don't love God, I hate God. I hate God because, he said, I see my sin everywhere. And I know he hates sin. And I know he judged me. And he says, I can't love him. I hate him. Overwhelmed by sin. Overwhelmed by the evil in his heart. By the evil of his thoughts. By the immorality. By the perversion. By the wickedness of the human heart. This man was tormented and couldn't find peace. And Rome couldn't help him. And Rome still can't help. And Protestant churches can't help either. He used to whip himself until he passed out and they found him and trailed him to bed with the blood running out of his back. He used to go out and lie in the snow until he was frozen almost naked to death and they would bring him in just to rescue him from death. All in order to get rid of his sin. The burden was so heavy. The guilt was so deep. The shame was so profound in this man's life. Nothing could give him peace. Until he was handed this book, the Bible. And as he studied this book as a lecturer, he came to that verse The just shall live by faith. And he understood that Christ had borne all his sin on the cross, and that if he would simply come at the invitation of Christ and receive him by faith, That all his sins would be taken away. And my friend, that miracle in the life of Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic priest, led to the great reformation, which has given you and I the freedom tonight to hear the message I'm preaching. The gospel. That no sacraments, no good works, no religion, none of it can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And with this I close. I will give you rest. Ah, my friend, we asked earlier, would this man be able to do that? Would this man that we've talked about, do you think he would be able to give you rest? Ah, I say he would. He would. I remember well the night after being hooked by the Holy Spirit when they put the tent up I went for two weeks solid never missed a night. Every night the evangelist raised up my sin and he raised the mirror of God's word and he said you're guilty you're condemned you've broken the law of God you're going to die in your sin and then he also raised up another panel and he said but there's a savior from all sin if you only let him in and his name is Jesus and every night I felt the grief of my sin But I saw that there was a Savior who could forgive me and get me a home in heaven and give me the gift of eternal life. And one night in that tent, I bowed my head and I said, God, I believe what this man from your word is telling the truth. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he did die on the cross for my sin. And tonight I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from my sin. And I invite Jesus to come." into my life to come into my spirit and my soul to take possession of me to be everything to me so that I can live with him and live for him and die with him and go to be with him for all eternity and that night my friends Jesus Christ came into my life and I've never been the same I've never been the same I never will be the same I probably don't look like much but let me tell you The man you're seeing in front of you one day will walk streets of gold. Let me tell you the man that's standing in front of you tonight will one day shake the hands of angels and many that I have known that were in this church and many others around the world and I will meet them in the glory land." One day I'll be in that city where there's no sin, no sorrow, no death, no cemetery, no fear. But my friend, God is there and his love pervades everything. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. You say you're pretty excited. Why wouldn't I be? I see madmen at football pitches over a stupid ball being kicked back and forward and they jump and hype and squeal and they have nothing my friends this is life this is eternal life this is heaven this is man's solution for the question of sin death and hell is it any wonder the early apostles i think it was 11 of them they all died martyrs any wonder they were flayed to death they were burned to death they were crucified upside down every conceivable torture on them And to their dying moments, all they confessed was this, Jesus is Lord. (laughs) That's the kind of religion the world needs, my friend. That's the kind of religion you need. And he says to you tonight, come to me. Come to me. Will you come to him tonight? Will you come to him tonight? Will you? After all you've heard. He says come to me. I made you. I have paid the price for you. I can forgive you. And when life is over. I promise you. I'll take you to heaven. I promise you. (laughs) He won't tell a lie. He won't tell a lie. He will take you to heaven. (laughs) He will. He never lies. <laughs> well some of you what are you going to do with them? what are you going to do with him tonight this wonderful man let's bow in prayer in closing I'm going to do exactly for you what was done for me over 40 years ago I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything like that tonight, but what I am going to do is I'm going to help you. If tonight God is speaking to you, and by the way, you'll know that. You'll know if God's speaking to you. And if in your heart tonight you say, I want Jesus Christ more than life itself, in fact, I would give an arm or a leg to have him. I have no idea what this will mean for the future, but with all my heart, I. I choose tonight to give up sin. To turn my back on evil. And to follow this man the rest of my life. That's what I want to do, Alan. That's what I want to do tonight. Please help me. Okay? I'm going to give you the words to pray. The words won't save you. It's Jesus who saves you. But if God is speaking to you and you really mean it, God will hear you. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came and that you lived, you died, and you rose again for me. I acknowledge my sin. I repent of it. I'm really sorry. I open my life now to you. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Save me. Make me your child. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing me. Help me now to tell others what you have done for me and to live for Jesus Christ the rest of my life. Amen.